Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Paul, what's going on, man? Months, how are you, man? Good to see you, buddy. Good. Uh, let's see. It's uh, Today is July 17th, so we are... It's like dead period. Nothing. Uh, nothing going on in the state, outdoor-wise. Unless you're fishing. You know, I'm sure you're bass fishing and angling. Our buddy Nick Moen finished in the top 65 of a, of a bass tournament recently here. A lot of guys are out doing that. Congratulations to you guys. Have fun. Catfishing's in full swing, but... I don't know, man. Yeah, but you know, for me, much. this is like one of those times where you kind of get lulled to sleep. That it's like it's middle of July, it's hot, there's bugs, time. There's, you know, do I really want to go spend a whole day out in in the woods prepping properties or whatever, hanging cameras? But the answer is yes, yes, you do, and you need to do that because before you know it, it's going to be the last Saturday in September. And actually, yeah. I had somebody ask me about doing something. September 30th uh, today and I had to think about it I'm like what day is the first day did you just laugh when they asked you that I kind of did but at the same time I was like I I'm gonna have to check my calendar man like it's creeping up here so yeah it it goes it goes quick man because I mean school around here starts like like middle week middle of August and I mean dude once that happens I mean it is fall is barreling down on us it always for me it always goes quick from july 4th like once i get to to july 4th like my mind just starts switching to fall and, and, and you know the winter time and all the, all the fun stuff that happens uh then so i'm i'm ready for fall turkey season i i understand <laughs> that <laughs> always always no i'm always. ready i'm ready i'm ready to shoot a deer with with, with my bow man i i can't wait for that so um I do want to say uh, we've got we've got a new uh, partner of this program. I want to say thanks to to Justin and Ryan and all the folks at Blackgate Trail Cameras. We met these guys at ATA. This is an Ohio company. They're based in Peebles, Ohio. They've got uh, uh, cell cams. They sent us two. Oh my god, these things are sweet. Great, great pictures. Um, a ton of. Uh, ton of features on these things really neat they got a solar panel coming out that you can get on their website pretty cool man pretty pretty cool uh camera so far i'm I'm gonna get mine out here i got i got signed up i got the program the data going what's your website months the website is blackgatehunting.com and i'll add on to paul's comments there really great looking quality pictures when we were um, oh yeah at their their booth and everything um it looked awesome so we're gonna give the R4G and the R4G Lite uh, a go at it and see how how things pop up. I just got my memory cards in the mail today, so hopefully throw some batteries in there and get them hung before the weekend or sometime this yeah. weekend. So 
Yeah, good stuff. Blackgatehunting.com. Check them out online. Check them out on Instagram. Just put in Blackgate Hunting. They'll, they'll pop up. So thanks to those guys. Really looking forward to getting those out. So MidwestGunworks.com. Uh, use the code Ohio Outdoors 5 Ohio Outdoors 5 to save yourself 5% on every order uh, that you have. Uh, man, I'm telling you, I, I've, I've mentioned this every time we talk about them, Andrew. Dude, that gun parts finder is legit. It's got a ton of information. Really, if you if you need parts for any of your firearms, anything, MidwestGunWorks.com, dig into that parts finder. They've got the breakdowns, the, the schematics, the diagrams of the firearms. Cameron does a lot of stuff on their YouTube channel. Great YouTube channel. Uh, oh, man, solid, solid stuff. So if you're a tinkerer, you got to get uh, get some work done on one of your firearms. MidwestGunWorks.com, Ohio, Outdoors 5. Save yourself 5%. We were just talking, Paul. You need to get on there and get yourself a gun so we can go out. I do. And hunt some coyotes, uh, hopefully this summer. Um, so with our X-Vision optics, uh, thanks to those guys, all your thermal and night vision needs there uh, monoculars binoculars scopes range finders all that kind of stuff um awesome man i have not been out enough to use mine lately but i need to um actually like i was just telling you talking to a guy at the gym that i might be able to uh pick up some property and some time out there with him he's like oh hell yeah man let's go so uh yep send up, it man. to that so What's uh what's the Xvision website again, Andrew? Uh, Xvisionoptics.com. Xvisionoptics.com. So, uh, while you're uh while you're posting, you know, pop around the internet, check out time to go wild.com. Heard us talk about them every week. Great supporters of the show. Great group of people running that that uh that brand, running that social media platform. Man, time to go wild.com. Android, Apple store uh for for the app we're on there find me paul campbell find uh andrew months but he won't uh he won't respond because he's running the o2 podcast page great community now i i really love there's a lot of people getting geared up for deer season andrew talking about bow setups i had a question for the community uh last week about clarifiers and verifiers for my bow peep site mike larson set me straight man got me down the path that i needed answered my question um you know, it's 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 interesting. We're going to talk about this after we get through this, but I want to talk about bow shops and asking dumb questions. So put a pin in that question. Um, also, Andrew, what can you get and go on? Half rack. And half rack products. Um, and X vision. Actually, so, or well, you can visit half dash rack. I got to give a shout out to, to go wild real quick before we get to half rack. So, yeah, um, I've been out practicing and shooting. Some days are really good. Some days are really bad. I'm still trying to get that site figured out. I'm getting much more comfortable with it. But, um, Paul, I had to upgrade my 3D deer target because I have been – I get so sick of shooting arrows through those plastic deer legs. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you have the phone – you have your phone You're not here. supposed to shoot the legs, I understand Andrew. That. I understand that, Paul. But <laughs> sometimes the arrow doesn't go right where you want it. So I had to, I ordered one the other day from from the guys that go wild, uh, a Reinhardt, and it came really fast, and it's really perfect because it's got foam legs, and I don't have to worry about that problem anymore of cutting legs in in half. So, oh, there you go. Now on to half rack. <laughs> half so half dash rack dot com, dude. Those guys are great, man. Check out the products they got. A ton of really cool shirts, uh, the snack packs that I love. They got the stuff that you're like. 
I don't know if I need that. And then you get it and you're like, how did I ever live without this? Like, I, oh man, I love it. The, uh, the boon sling is, is awesome. I've got that. The wildcat bow case is really neat. They've got, um, for you guys that are hunting in private land, you want a bow hanger. Their bow hanger is legit. Check them out. Half dash rack.com Ohio outdoors, 15, save yourself 15% on everything. What else? Who else we got, Mons? Who else we got to say thank you and we love you too? First Light, uh, thanks to them. And they got some new things out, the Origin Pants, uh, some new some new gloves. Um, yeah, man, we're going to try to get Greg on to talk about uh, everything that they've come out with this year uh, leading up to the season. So uh, can't say enough about that. And I think that's all of the commercials, Paul. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I'm talking about like, archery questions archery setup questions like the actual like process of setting up your bow and 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 changing one of the things that um that i've had i've had some issues with you know my my eyesight is getting worse so like the like the close-up vision whatever that i've I've worn contacts for years i can't see anything far away and just recently it it started to fade so i've noticed that the pins like in low light situations have are really blurry and if I'm if I'm looking if I'm shooting like when we're down at archery hike shooting those 40 50 yard bombs dude I was having trouble seeing some of those pins so there's these things called clarifiers and so I got on go wild and I asked what a clarifier was and Mike Larson's like no, no, no you don't need a clarifier because that's like a piece that fits on the on the housing of the site he's like you need a verifier it goes in it like screws into the peep site and it's like a third of the cost it's like 40 bucks and I'm like, dude, that's that's exactly what I need. And so if I, I and, and then there's a conversation on Go Wild. Like if you go into a bow shop, a lot of times you feel like you're asking a dumb question or if you didn't buy. And it's not like this everywhere. You you, you didn't buy anything like you feel like ah, man, I didn't buy this bow, but I need help. And and sometimes and this is like human nature, like if you're asking a question as, as an adult male or adult female. And you know that, like, you should know this, but you don't. Like, do you feel dumb at all, or do you just send it? And you're like, "Well, I need a clarifier." And and here's the thing: like, if I would have gone to a bow shop, I'm like, "Do you need a clarifier?" Some of those are like three hundred dollars. They probably would have thrown that on there. That's not what I need. I need a forty dollar verifier to help me see the pens, not the not the setup. A lot of what, what are your thoughts I, on that? I feel stupid. I feel stupid asking questions like anything, right? Uh, how do you, you know, whatever unplunge a you know a toilet or something like that but um to me it's like if you go to a good bow shop and they you got somebody that you can trust that's what matters and they're gonna be like no yeah. they're gonna pull the mike larson they're gonna be like no you don't need that you need this thing and yeah. here let's and he's like here, here's why this is what this does this solves your problem yeah yeah uh, i don't know man there's um i know serious archery i saw their podcast today was answering your archery questions that they released on their podcast and it was all about asking questions about arrow tuning and arrow setup and and oh man there's so much there's so much and like you and i were talking about the first axis second axis third axis on the bows and and the levels and all that kind of stuff i'm like man i just slapped that sight on that bow and it looks like it's shooting straight so there's a lot of fine tuning on that stuff and really i mean you were talking about, you know, to buy, maybe we buy a bow press and we can do work on this stuff together. I'm like, man, 
I don't know. Don't tempt me. I know. But. I don't know, dude. I like to. I like to learn to do things. I, I like, like to, to tinker and stuff. But my problem, I don't know about you. My problem is tinkering leads to tearing things apart, and then I have a problem putting it back together. And with bow season like right around the corner, the last thing I need to do is tear that thing apart, and then be like, "Uh oh, I don't know how to put this back together." Well, just like minor adjustments, you know. We could probably figure. out. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe maybe like working on a bow is. I don't know. I would like to do that because I don't want to have to drive. 45 minutes for something that I'm like, oh, I probably could have done that. You know, just just a, a mentor, maybe some time. I don't know. That's all I got for that. So I get you. Uh, yeah. Mushroom Marsh this week, man. It's coming. If you're listening to this, this goes live on Wednesday, Friday. Mustard in the Marsh starts. We will be there. Conservation dinner Friday night. That is a separate ticket from Mustard in the Marsh. Uh, but, man, there's a ton, ton of stuff on uh, on Saturday for the uh, outdoor enthusiast outdoor wildlife conservationists uh, in the state and beyond. So check that out. Muster in the marsh.com for the Ohio BHA backcountry hunters and anglers, right? It's a national thing, man. This is their big national event. Yep. This is the showcase baby. So looking forward to looking forward to meeting cow and, uh, and Kevin from meat eater. So that'd be pretty neat meeting those guys. All right, Paul. So last week you had the opportunity to attend the Ohio wildlife council meeting and, I did. uh, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of everything that was happening there, but for news around the state, uh, Governor DeWine has appointed um, Solomon Curtis to the Ohio Wildlife Council. So um, there was a press release put out on their website. It looks like it was on July 13th, but uh, he's an avid bass fisherman. Um, so we got a, a good bass fisherman on the council now. And if you have any questions about that, you can check out their, the uh, OhioDNR.gov. For more information there, don't forget yeah. the controlled hunt lotteries are, you can apply for those all through the month of July. And what else, Paul? I think that's all. There, there is, there is, um, we'll touch briefly on that. We're, we're, we'll dive into this, you know, really deep here, uh, here later in the year, but there are new regulations coming out for controlled hunts in this state, in the state of Ohio. Uh, I have worked quite a bit with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, Ohio Department of Wildlife to 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 clarify some of the rules uh here for for hunters in the state. And a lot of those revolve around controlled hunts. So I've 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 really been uh and that's why I was at the Rules Council or the the the, the meeting uh last week uh was to really understand the rules process, the rules making process for wildlife laws in the state. Uh, it's been a learning process. It's been it's been pretty neat. We're going to dive into that not today, but if you are if you are awarded a hunt here in, in just a couple of weeks, those rules and regulations have changed. They've been clarified. Uh, so so keep an eye out for that. It's good, good to know. So speaking of clarification, we did have uh, a listener reach out to us and wanted to help us explain regulations over in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, a little bit better. So we had our show last week with Johnny, and uh, we talked about what they have over there called the uh, the DMAP permits, which uh, he told us. Hold on a second. Deer Management Assistance Program. Program. Right. So, uh, Kirk, thank you for reaching out to us, and uh, we're gonna throw his his little excerpt in here. Uh, we did a little interview yeah. with him just to kind of yeah, it's explain. quick. Yeah, quick. Clarify the rules. What DMATs or DMAP. DMAP permits are, where you can use them, how you can use them. So very good. Thank you, Kirk, for reaching out, taking the time to hop on the website just to to clarify that for our listeners. So thank you very much. And two more things. Uh, I did want to say we had the 
folks from BPA on the on the show a few weeks ago, and they've just released. I think they're calling the Omegas, uh, these broadheads, really to help self help self sharpen them. Not self sharpen, but help you sharpen them easier. And it's kind of a cool little process. It's got this uh, flat piece on the with a ferrule or whatever, but um, that really helps get that angle right. So check those out if you if you haven't seen them yet. They are uh, very very cool. Got our hands on a couple of them and. Uh, we'll see how how they do this fall, but I think the last thing I got, Paul, is is this the week this week's show. We've got Garrett Prohl, the do-it-yourself sportsman, uh, fellow Sportsman's Empire Network brethren. Uh, Garrett is very meticulous and he is very smart when it comes to the woods. So we wanted to bring him on to talk about some of the tactics. And different things that he does when he's out in the woods and trying to find big bucks. Now, he's out in Minnesota. A little bit different terrain than we have. But in the big scheme of things, he's still looking for the same you know, sign and different things that we are. It's a good talk. It's very educational. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it that you can really take to the woods and, and apply. Um, we go through a few different scenarios as far as what kind of equipment you're using climbing trees hunting from the ground anything like that but it's uh it's a pretty good one and i think you guys will enjoy it and man this will be our our tactic episode for the month of july and we will uh continue rolling into i don't know what next week is is it gear maybe but um going going through our little uh revolving sequence here yeah, we're gonna do it. We gotta do a deer talk. Let's let's make that happen, man. Yeah. Looking forward to that. So, but they, yeah, thanks thanks for the continued support of the show. Thanks for uh, for clicking download every week. Thanks for listening. Search the O two podcast on on any of them, uh, and we will pop up. So, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy Kirk. Clear find some rules on uh, NPA and uh, and Garrett Pro, the DIY sportsman. Take care, everybody. All right, so um, Paul and I are joined tonight with Kirk. Kirk's from uh, Northwest Pennsylvania, and he listened to our show last week with uh, Johnny Stewart, and we just want to get a little clarification on a few things um, from the state of Pennsylvania as far as the DMAP permits go. So we had a nice talk with Johnny. Um, there, there was some stuff in there about the DMAP permits. Kirk reached out to us and said, hey, I think we need to get that a little bit clarified. So, uh, Kirk, you want to give us a quick rundown of, of your background and, and, and you know, what, what you do? Yeah, my, my background is, you know, I'm, I'm your average guy. I, I have a 40-hour-a-week job, but I, uh, bow hunting is my passion. I hunt, you know, almost every day during season, and I jump across state lines. I hunt over in Ohio quite a bit, too. So, you know, uh, making sure one knows the rules, it's pretty important. You know, you, you don't want to run – you don't want to run a file of the wardens. Right. So that's my background. I I've been I've been hunting for 40 years now. So Absolutely. good deal. Uh Kurt, if you would, we we just talked uh briefly about uh clarifying some of the D map rules uh in in the state of Pennsylvania. So break down what one that stands for and two what those permits are and where a hunter can use those. Sure. So what D map stands for 
is actually a deer management assistance program. And what that is, is um, private landowners can enroll their properties as well as state-owned property can be in, enrolled. I know uh, several state parks are enrolled in the program. I believe the Allegheny National Forest is enrolled in the program. And uh, starting this year, there are some select game lands that are, are actually involved in the program as well. So what a DMAP tag is, it's a tag that allows you to take an analyst deer on a specific property. So when you go to buy a DMAP tag, you have to know what the DMAP number is, and then you buy the tag for that number if it is still available, and then it allows you to take an analyst deer off of that particular property. So is there? So there's. It's just like a, almost kind of like a quota hunt in some states. There's only so many of those DMAP tags per day or per season. It's per season, and it is kind of similar to a quota hunt, except you know you can buy those over the counter. You could buy them. Uh, online typically i know that a lot of the dmap units sell out pretty fast just because it's an it's an extra tag past the statewide allotment okay so like you you had said it's an additional antlerless tag uh on top of your your bag limit for that pennsylvania right correct correct okay. now the 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 private property that's enrolled in that so uh, any any hunter can participate in a dmap permit hunt on private property or is there additional steps that a hunter needs to take so um the properties that i've typically been hunting myself are private but they're open to public hunting okay just so, for dmap permits only right uh, a couple of these properties are actually open to public hunting um in general okay right? However, there are a lot of properties that are open for the public just for the DMAP. But, you know, a lot of times, I shouldn't say a lot of times. Um, first of all, um, like we had kind of discussed a little bit earlier, I just want to be clear. If folks have any questions, the best place to go is to, to the PA Game Commission website, um, and that will answer all of your questions. Yeah. It also has all the information for participating landowners, and it will typically give contact information for the landowner so you can, you know, maybe get a hold of them, have either a phone conversation or an email back and forth with them to find out what their specifics are. Yeah. Kerr, that's, that's, I'm, thank you for, for reaching out to us and, and, and clarifying that. Um, it can be confusing wildlife rules and regulations, especially if you're not familiar with them from out of state. I mean, they can, they can be, uh, you know, a lot. And we say a lot, always go back to your book, go back to the rules and regulations. If you have more questions, reach out to, to the controlling agency and uh, in whatever state you're in. So we'll go ahead and include in the show notes, the link to the DMAP website for the state of Pennsylvania. Um, those tags are not available yet. They, it looks like they go on sale August 14th. Um, does that sound right, Kirk? The, uh, yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, eight, at 8 a.m. Yep. So I'm sure and there'll probably be a big line for him. But anyway, we'll we'll keep that uh put those in the show notes. Kirk, is there anything else we we messed up or uh missed there last week? No, that sounds pretty good. I just wanted to make sure that was a little clearer to you guys because you know, nobody wants to come across the state lines and think, hey, I got this DMAP tag, I can just go hunting anywhere. And and the next thing you know, you know, you, you get pinched by get pinched by the warden and you know, those are yeah. uncomfortable conversations. Better say, yeah. Well, there's, sorry. there's, what's the, what's the, the Lacey Act? If you, if you harvested a deer, any animal illegally, and you transported it across straight lines, so PA to, to Ohio, that's a federal crime at that point. Like that's a serious, that's a serious thing. So it's, it's important to, 
um, you know, to clarify that, know the rules and regulations wherever you're, wherever you're hunting. So thank you for, for your taking the time to get on the website and, and, and fill out a form. Man. I really appreciate you. Yep. Yeah. Hey, no problem. Kirk. So I see your hat there. Appreciate your service to the country. Uh, and good luck this season, man. Hey, thanks you guys too. Take care. Yep. Thank yep. you. All right. What's up everybody. Welcome back to the O2 podcast tonight. We are joined with our very special guest, Mr. Garrett Prohl who is a fellow Sportsman's Empire Network contributor. Garrett, how's it going, man? Doing pretty well. Good. You get staying busy? You're up in Minnesota, right? You're staying busy yeah. up there? Is it snowing yet? Uh, we're just about. No, it's actually really hot this time of year. It's We definitely get all four seasons. So I think it was still snowing in turkey season for sure, but then it's like it goes from a couple weeks of spring right into full-blown summer. Everything leaves out, and, I mean, we – have temperatures in the mid 90s occasionally which with the humidity seems like it's just as bad as when i used to live in missouri when i was younger um just not as frequent that it gets quite that hot yeah the only difference yeah it's been uh well, down here in ohio it's been relatively nice lately and we've had some sporadic rains getting a little dry at this point but um i'm sure it'll come back so we avoided the humidity for the, for the first part of june because it just didn't rain and uh now that's back so we're it's back to reality here but um well tonight i i want to talk a little bit about kind of whitetail tactics i mean anybody well hold on let me back up i'm really good at that jumping the gun thing but garrett tell us about what you do your content that you create um and some of that kind of stuff you've got some excellent things out there uh, on youtube and instagram and different things like that but let's for anybody who doesn't know garrett is your time. Yeah, so I've made videos and done podcasts over the years, primarily focusing on things that will help somebody become a better hunter in either you know public land or just DIY in general, uh, going out and doing their own scouting, um, hunting based off of the sign that they find, making their equipment more efficient, being able to set up a, a system that works the best for them so that they can make the most out of the time that they have in the woods and um a little bit of archery content thrown in there as well so are you hunting primarily public land or only public land i'd say it's probably i don't know it's got to be about 90 percent or so i'll put it this way i don't generally hunt private land intentionally or, or set goals of hunting private land and this year may be a bit of an anomaly in that i'll do a a, a metro hunt that they have in the twin cities um, I built up a few points for that, and that'll be one where it's like a city park type hunt that they have it ultra controlled. So I'll do that for a tag, but generally speaking, I'm hunting public land apart from that. I think a lot of it just has to do with I'm not very good at door knocking. Um, I'm really awkward at small talk and, you know, conversations. And, yeah, you know, a buddy, one of my roommates and I in college went and uh, did some door knocking back in like the 2013 14-ish time frame, and I think we got one yes out of like 67 properties uh, knocking around doors in the Twin Cities areas. Um, so it's like, man, all that waste of time going door to door, it's like I could just spend that time scouting on public and be oftentimes just as well off. I'm not opposed to it, but it's just logistically is easier for me. That's a, that's a good, interesting thought. I've never thought about it that way. The time you spend trying to get on the private, you could be better off just scouting the public 
That makes a lot of sense. I'm not good at it either. Uh, it's got to be one of those things that it's, you know, an acquaintance or something that the door opens up. But I did it last year, two years ago, to one property nearby my house. And I think I was just asking the shed hunt. And the answer I got was, I wish you wouldn't, in a really nasty tone. <laughs> so she didn't say no, but she said, I wish you wouldn't. So uh, I didn't pursue that one, though, anyways. But. <laughs> Anywho, so it is now July, today is July 11th, so we'll call it the midway through the month of July, and it's, the itch is coming, right? We, we've gotten through turkey season, uh, much to Paul's dismay, but uh, we've gotten through the 4th of July, um, summer is almost halfway over, I guess we could say, um, and it's time to really start doing that kind of whitetail prep and obviously you're out shooting your bows and you're and you're tuning all that kind of stuff i don't want to really necessarily go down that rabbit hole but um if it's if you got a, a couple a day uh, a few hours go out and start scouting that's what i want to kind of talk about uh what we're looking for and i mean we can sit on our, our emat or our e-scout above and you know and it's great it gets you headed in the right direction but there's also been times where I'll do that and I go out and it is looks nothing like what I anticipated and just completely throw, throws me for a loop. So what are what are your first steps when it comes to, you know, scouting, whether it is e-scouting or uh, just going out and exploring or like what are some things people should start thinking about when they're when they're looking this direction? Yeah, are we talking specifically this time of year or just in general? Yeah, let's talk about this time of the year because I want to be like... I, when you get into the middle of the season, then that can be a different ball game and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so most of the places that I scout this time of the season, I have some familiarity with. Either either I've hunted them in the past or I've scouted them in early spring before the woods really get greened up. And I have a basic idea of, of what I'm after. And then it comes down to verification. What am I verifying? I'm trying to verify, especially for that opening week time frame, are there white oak trees that are going to be carrying acorns? You know, it seems like it's hit or miss in a lot of areas. Either you have a strong or a weak acorn crop, um, especially focusing on the areas that have isolated oaks instead of oaks all over the place. And number two, just to see what's out there. Um, obviously, a lot of times if you get velvet pictures of bucks, they may not be in the same areas once the season actually comes around and they're hardhorned. But it's helpful to know, oh, this you know chunk of 5,000 acres I got, a couple of really nice bucks. Even if they're not there, they're probably going to be somewhere in that piece of land that I can find throughout the season. Whereas maybe this other place where I've historically gotten pictures of velvet deer, there's not a lot of big deer that are showing up. A lot of the areas that I hunt, I don't necessarily have the opportunity to glass just because they don't set up well for it. Uh, there's not really, you know, ag sources that are visible from the roads. So you end up having to hike way in there, get up in a tree and, and try to look over early clear cuts and things like that. And it's tough to get in there and be unobtrusive while doing so. So I'm always looking out for those opportunities because I think glassing is uh, a very useful tool in the places where it sets up well for it. I just don't usually, in the places I hunt, have the opportunity to do it. So those are the two things I'm usually trying to verify is, you know, what is the area holding this time of year? Trying to get as many different uh you know, cast a wide net this time of year so that I can focus my efforts once the season starts a little bit better. And then what are going to be some of those really hot food sources? Um, this year, especially, I'm going to try and put a bigger focus on filling traditional tags. And historically, when I've done that, I've tried to 
go in with the same goals that I normally would have with my compound and try and chase bigger deer. And I end up invariably getting these scenarios in which I don't see a lot of deer during the early part of the season. And I know that if I was hunting other areas that maybe had higher deer densities, I'd be better off, but I'm always kind of, you know, splitting those different priorities. So this year I'm taking more of a focus on just filling some tags early and then transitioning as it gets later into October toward more uh, hunting bucks. And with that in mind, a lot of the scouting for me this time of year is really going to shift towards checking those oak trees, checking those early season food sources. You know, maybe it is a, a soybean field or a corn field adjacent to public. Maybe one year it's beans, one year it's corn. Well, I know historically if it's corn, then the wood lots behind tend to hold more deer, um, you know, because of that extra cover there. So those are the things I'm really trying to look for specifically for the early season. And just kind not of... as much I find this time of year that helps me quite as much when it gets to like later October or during the rut. I feel like my scouting for the, for that time of year ends up being best either in season, finding it live, or like, you know, March or April. When does the season start in Minnesota? We're usually second week of uh, September, or second weekend, second to third weekend. So a lot of times it'll end up being like between the 13th and the 20th of September, okay. just depending on the year. That's not too far off from us. We always start the last Saturday of September, so... Um... Really not that, not that much different. Okay, so you talked about oak trees. Now, anybody who listens to us knows that I have a passion for trees and horticulture in general. <clears throat> what are some things people need to look at? Uh, when you're talking about finding that that hot oak, uh, at this time of the year, the acorns are not falling yet. Uh, but what are some things that, you know, the differences between white oaks, red oaks, bur oaks, shingle oaks, you know, different food sources that way, you know, the way I was always taught was that, you know, you'll have some oaks that will produce one year real heavy, maybe the next year not at all. Uh, I thought I read or heard something recently where there are some oaks that never produce uh, any acorns. What are you looking for when you're out there now and, and picking those trees out and know? I mean, historically, it might have been a great feed tree last year, but this year might not. And, I mean, you, are you climbing up in the, tr- the tree and trying to catch branches or... I'm usually bringing binoculars, okay. at least like a, a 10 power I like. Um, I've got a, a big pair that I use for 3D archery. It's like a 10 by 50 uh, UHDs, and you don't need something that fancy, but it definitely helps to have something a little bit more powerful when you're looking that uh, high up in the tree. I like to stabilize against the trunk of another tree just to hold nice and stable because a lot of times if I'm just hand-holding, I'm looking up in the treetops, it can be tough to hold steady enough to be like, ah, oh, those acorns are not, especially if the leaves are uh, moving around with wind. But if you get a heavy enough tree and you get a big enough oak where they have those lower horizontal facing branches, then a lot of times you don't have to look very high to find if it's going to be loaded with acorns or not. It just depends on the tree. But uh, I'm usually in areas where I know historically where the oaks tend to be. And sometimes they're big oak flats, right? And those can be a little bit tougher. You usually assume that there's going to be some oaks on that flat that are dropping. In some years, they're all dropping, it seems like. Um, so you might walk around there before the season and it's like, ah, oh, this one's loaded, this one's loaded, this one's loaded. And then you know, okay, this is probably going to be a good acorn year. And maybe in years like that, I know I can spend more time hunting those oak flats or edges of the flats near bedding in the, you know, hopes that I can actually hunt longer, right? I can hunt from, say, first light through 11 a.m. And I could have a doe stroll by it at almost any time of the day, it seems like. But then there's other years, like you mentioned, where it's like, man, it's just there's not hardly anything 
I'll go walk out to these Oak islands on a secluded cattail marsh. It's like no acorns here, no acorns here, no acorns here. I did that a lot last season. It, it seemed like everywhere that I went and was checking these Oak trees, it's like, yeah, there's maybe an acorn here or there, but it just wasn't looking great. And then finally on like the third day of hunting, it's like, okay, here, here's, you know, here's the mother load. There's like three oak uh, trees dropping, tons of deer sign, fresh droppings all around the, the trees. And then it's like, okay, now I know where I can focus on. And it didn't take me, or it took me longer than I would have liked. If I would have done more preseason checking, I might have been able to find those trees without having to waste two, three days in the season in order to get the same knowledge. So in that situation, you just kept moving to find those oaks, right? Yeah. And yep. do you have a secondary tree source that you would go after if if you couldn't find oaks, whether it was the property? There's Here's the deal. And, and when I say this in Ohio, again, I'm, I'm not I'm making a generalization. It's not completely true. But the eastern part of our state tends to grow oaks better because we have lower pH on that side of the, in the soil. The western side of the state, it can be a real struggle to get oak trees to grow. I'm not saying there are none, so don't anybody jump my stuff. But, like, um, it's just kind of the way it is. And, obviously, and then on the western side of Ohio, we're much heavier in ag. So I'm not even sure that the tree side of things plays into it as much because there's just so much agriculture over there. Anywho, if you were to come across a property and you couldn't find a good oak, or whether they don't exist or they're just not dropping, is there a secondary food source that you'd be looking at to set up around i mean usually either hopefully ag because if there's ag at least it's like you got a destination and if there's no ag and there's no acorns but there's clearly deer still around there then it becomes a little bit tougher for me right i know like the red oaks probably aren't gonna be dropping yet because they don't usually drop till well later in the season and we don't have at least where i'm at a lot of other well-known secondary mast sources but there's lots and lots of, you know, forbs and early successional growth and things like that that the deer will feed on, which makes it tougher because those food sources are all over the place. It's like they can they can get out of their bed and just eat to their heart's content as long as they want to. So it makes it harder to say like, oh, they're bedding here and they're going to move to here because you don't really always know. Um, and in that case, maybe it's you're better off if you're just especially after general deer bouncing up different properties and finding ones that you think you could find a more direct food source, even in areas that have a lot of say white oaks. If I have an area like that, but then I have another area where there's like three on one little ridge in the you know back corner of the property. Well, I'm going to check that one first. Cause if that one's loaded, then I know I can hit that like the first or second day of season and have a better opportunity of getting a shot than hunting that oak flat where I might see more deer, but the odds of having one in range is lower. And that's kind of the same thing if, if they're just feeding on browse. It's a little bit tougher to pinpoint. So you just try and get as close to bedding as you can. And usually you can get pretty close uh, because the woods are so thick and they're just it's just noisier, right? Sound doesn't carry as far. So if you know where they're bedding in that scenario, then you can oftentimes sneak really, really close, like within, you know, 50, 60 yards and get set up. So we're on to the bedding discussion. And this is on my this is one of the things I want to talk about. My ignorance, my lack of knowledge in this, it drives me nuts because I like to, I'm one of these people like, you know, one plus one has to equal two. I have to understand how you get to where, you know, all that kind of stuff. When I drive around the city, uh, you know, or outside of Columbus, 
you know, there's deer bedding in front yards. There's deer laying everywhere. There just seem to be, you know, you pick a place. It's a, it could be a deer bed. How how are you finding what constitutes a deer bed? And I know it seems like such a stupid question, and maybe it is, but like I, I've come across them. I never can really figure out a rhyme or reason why. Uh, and oftentimes, of course, it's a place, you know, if I'm hunting out of state and I'm like, well, there's sure a lot of beds here and I'll never be back here. But um, if you were on a property, I mean, what kind of things are you, where do you got to find them? Where, where do the deer bed, Garrett? I don't, I don't know how to ask, else yeah. to ask it. Yeah, early season's the toughest, I think, because th- there's more places where they can bed. The growth is so tall. There's, you know, weeds, tall grass, um, ferns. Like, there's just a lot more opportunity for deer to be hidden at any given spot. Once that stuff all starts dying down, then the bedding gets a little bit more condensed and it becomes a little bit easier. I think a lot, oftentimes a lot of the beds that we find postseason scouting are some of those beds that are formed after a lot of that vegetation has died off so i might know that i found beds here 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 and here in march but going into the opening week of season i may or may not be able to rely on some of those maybe they're being used or maybe they're using more early season beds that are closer to certain food sources and they'll end up shifting backwards as the season progresses and a lot of times finding those early season beds it can be tough because you don't always you're not able to just look at a map and easily predict there's going to be deer bedding here in like an oxbow river uh, bottom type place or a lot of times in hill country if you've got the the classic point scenario you could be a little bit more pinpoint in your predictions but in that flatter ground bigger woods it becomes a lot less predictable a lot of times i'll find beds on uh edges of like say older clear cuts and mature hardwoods or i'll find them on points of of smaller little not even i don't even call it a ridge but just like where the elevation is say 10 feet uh, higher than the surrounding area that's more like flat swampy ish type ground i might find beds on the point of it i might find beds halfway up on there i might find beds on the edge like they can just kind of be all over and a lot of times i just take notes each season as i'm going through oh i bumped a deer here mark it and then over five, six years of hunting a similar area, it's like, okay, I know early season, this is where I bumped deer in the past. This is generally where they'd like to bed. And then as the season progresses, you just kind of keep that dialogue going and you keep taking notes and compare that with the, the late season, in season, and postseason scouting. And then you can kind of get a little bit better picture for here's what they're doing throughout the various points of the hunting season. Yeah, early season's definitely the toughest because they got, you know, max cover. Do you literally have a notebook that's, like, super thick, full of years of notes? Uh, No, I actually, I don't really take physical notes that much. I use use Spartan Forge quite a bit, and that pretty much is my entire library of past season notes. I have, uh, you know, my waypoints, I'll be dropping photos where it makes sense. I'll take notes on the waypoints themselves. I'll use color coordination on the waypoints to either designate this is what I think is a big deer or a general deer or one I couldn't quite decipher. Uh, maybe it's this year versus that year. This is a, a bed that they were using when there was corn in this adjacent ag field or you know this one with soybeans. So that in conjunction with the, the journaling uh, feature is part of the app. I pretty much have it all electronically in there, so I don't have a physical notebook per se. 
Gotcha. So from a deer's perspective, what are some things that they are, are when they choose their bed, right? Their beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some things you talk about being on Ridge, being on a point? I know thermals and wind and what they can see, all that kind of stuff comes together. I mean, is there a certain things along those lines when you, even if you stumble upon one, you're like, why is this here? And then you're like, Oh, well I can see that they, you know, this would be good or why, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, with doe bedding, it's usually just a thicker area, right? Uh, you have a, a food source and you have thick cover nearby anywhere throughout that, that, uh, area, there could be doe bedding. If it's hill country, a lot of times you'll find it on like a thicker flat, whereas the bucks might be, you know, kind of more off the points. If it's a clear cut, a lot of times I'll find does bedding either kind of haphazardly on the edges or like within the interior of the clear cuts. And when you find bucks bedding in those clear cuts, it's usually going to be like a spot on a spot type of a thing where you, you sit there and like, oh yeah, you'd be really hard to set up on this deer you know, because of the dropping thermals or I'll give you an example. I was scouting a place this spring. It was a clear cut on a hillside, probably, I don't know. 12, 15 years old, enough where the, the trees are probably uh, between like three to seven inches in diameter of regrowth, enough that you can walk through, but there's still ferns and, and thorns and things like that. And on this hillside within that clear cut, you had a lot of fallen timber kind of mixed throughout on the edge where it kind of veered off into more of a flat. And you could follow these trails up and through there and you got onto that little flat and it was nice and thick. And maybe 15 yards past where it got flat, it was like, okay, bed here, walk another couple feet, another bed here, walk another five yards, another bed here. Like, okay, this is doe bedding, right? You can't really see anything around there. It's a cluster. Uh, There wasn't necessarily a a wind advantage per se. I back off of that trail to get back on the hillside. I follow a different trail up. And then you find one big lone tree, you know, scattered throughout the early regrowth. And then there's more old historical rubs up through there. And I find one big bed that has, you know, a bunch of, you know, shed hair from uh, the early spring. And this one, I was like, okay, you can see 40 yards down the ridge. Up above that bed, it was more deadfall. So it kind of created like an upward barrier. But still being on the slope with a northerly wind, you could have wind over the top, upward rising thermals throughout the day. And then when those thermal switch and go down, he's got all the wind at his back, but he can visually see out below. It's like clearly buck bed. So it, it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint. Like I wouldn't be able to look at a map at that clear cut and be like, oh, there's a bed right here. Like there's just no way. I had to get boots on the ground to to find those. But uh, and it could be really tough this time of year to try and go out there and figure that out. That's like one of those scenarios where either during the season or postseason you're going to find a, a bed like that. Um, so usually early season the more obvious type stuff like the river bottom bedding, the hill country bedding, the, the marsh bedding can be a little bit easier to figure out. So, um, do you use cameras at all? Yeah, I do. Okay. You, you stumble upon a bed and, or beds or whatever you're, you know, coming across. How, where are you, where are you setting the camera up? And what, well, where do you, where do you set the camera up? Like in relation to that bed, are you putting it right on the bed? Are you putting it off on the side path, or are you not even going to put a camera anywhere near that? Usually, I'll put my cameras on scrapes and pinch points, and 
a lot of the best intel that I get comes from the scrape locations. And what I tend to find is that, and I only put them on what I consider to be better scrapes. If find a hundred scrapes in an area, maybe 10 of those are scrape worthy or uh, camera worthy. And so I'll put these in these areas. And a lot of times what I find, especially for the ones that tend to get really good, say late October is in like the August timeframe, sometimes even in July, July, August, I'll get big mature bucks that'll hit them in, you know, full velvet one to four times. It might even be like during daylight, right? But then they just disappear. But then right as kind of that late October time frame heats up, then they'll start hitting those scrapes again. And maybe it's at night, but then you hit a good cold front or something and they start showing up in daylight. And then you build that library year over year. So I have a lot of cameras in areas like that where they might actually be locations that I'll end up hunting. And if I'm getting daylight pictures and a frequency of them, okay, it's probably better close. That that bedding area that I found, you know, spring scouting or whatever, he's probably using that one. He's probably using this access trail. And I can keep that in mind when I'm going in to hunt that spot. It's probably going to be pretty close, right? Because if it's, if he's bedded further away from that particular scrape, he's probably not going to be getting to it in daylight. And I know like, okay, he's probably not bedding in that area. So I don't necessarily need to have the camera really close to the bed to get the type of intel that I would want to get. Um, and then with the, with the pinch point information, a lot of times I'll have those cameras just soak and I'll look at the data year over year. Like, ah, there was, you know, two, two bucks that crossed during daylight throughout the entire rut period. Like this isn't a very great pinch point. Whereas another camera at a different pinch point, oh man, there's, there was five mature deer, all different ones in a one week time frame. Like if I'm going to put in a lot of time on this certain wind, like this would be a good spot to do it. You just got to put in the hours. So those are usually the two things I'll do. Early season specific, sometimes if there's like an isolated oak source, like we are talking about earlier, where there's maybe two or three trees, it's like, ah, I, I can know that there's deer probably coming in there and they're going to be feeding there. But if I want to get an idea of which deer are coming in and feeding, it's just a bunch of does. Is there a buck coming in? Then a, a camera in that scenario might be helpful as well. One thing I think I'm picking up from the conversation, you do a lot of doe hunting. Is that, I don't, maybe not, but do you shoot a lot of does? Uh, historically I've shot more does than I have bucks. Okay. But in the last five years I've shot more bucks than does. I don't, I don't I'm not opposed to shooting does. I love shooting does, but my wife, my wife shoots does every year. It seems like now that she started hunting. So I don't, I don't have to shoot as many. And a lot of times if I am hunting for a buck, oftentimes I'm in an area where it's like, man, I don't want to shoot anything back here unless it's one that I'm after because of the work required. It's like, if I want to shoot a doe, I'll shoot one close to the road. Cause there's a lot of areas where I can find does that are a lot easier to drag out than some of the spots I end up hunting. So, but, but like I said, this year with, with the traditional mindset, at least for like that September, early October timeframe, I probably will be hunting more of those close to the road type spots in areas where I have good food sources and good doe bedding. I, I shoot a lot of does um, because it fills the freezer and I've never, I shouldn't say never. It's taken me a long time to get to the point where I was able to get on decent bucks, decent for me. Um, and I just didn't know if you were to say, you know, if you're a hunter and you're in that phase or whatever, you just want to go out and fill the freezer are you treating any of this camera or the scouting or anything any different 
you know, I mean, everybody talks about let's go find the biggest deer in the, you know, in the world and go after it. But if, if you're maybe not going after that super secluded buck, that's often eight miles deep in the woods and stuff. Are there anything else tactic wise from, uh, or scouting wise, camera wise that you might do differently? Yeah. I mean, I like to, with that mindset, have a really wide net of a lot of areas that are easy to track. That might mean that they're close to the road. That might mean it's a place where you can ride a mountain bike back and, and check it pretty quickly. But I'm looking for areas where it's like, man, there's there's a ton of does in here. Like, there's just deer sign everywhere, right? Um, and maybe it's an area where you know historically they'll come out in daylight, and that's all you need to check. It's like, yep, they're in here this year, right? I'm good. Or maybe it's an area it's like, oh, there's a lot of deer sign, but I haven't really hunted here before. I don't know if they're if these deer are bedding close. I don't know if they're getting here after dark or if this is all daytime sign, nighttime sign. Having a camera in that scenario could be helpful just to give you that extra intel. Um, but if I'm just after any deer, instead of having, let's say, one piece of land where I have 10 good hunting spots that are spread throughout, and it might take me two full days to check all of those spots because of the amount of time it takes me to get to all of them versus let's say you have six different pieces of land that you could drive to. Each one has the best two or three that are really quick and easy to check. Well then maybe you can check all of those over the same two day time span, but you end up, especially in the summer, you know, it's a little bit easier, right? You're not going through thick, nasty mosquito infested swamps. Um, you're able to get in and get out, be pretty unintrusive, check the things you want to check. And then maybe you end up finding like, oh man, like this place also has a, a big deer. Um, or this property didn't have a lot of deer last year, but it seems like they're everywhere this year. The you know, places will cycle. Sometimes a certain piece of property will get hit really hard for a couple of years. And then the deer numbers go way down on that particular piece. And then less people will hunt it because they're just not seeing many deer like they used to. Right. Well, in that, particular place has a, a chance to rebound over the next few years and it might have more deer once again without that many people hunting it so spreading yourself across different places that are easy to check will give you that a bit of uh, intel as well if you're just after any deer keeps the odds up yeah and i'm just my philosophy's kind of always been um you know eventually those does are going to bring in the bucks do you buy into any of that like if they're even though it might be uh, a seemingly simple area close to the road or easy access or whatever like that, if the does are there come November, they're going to have a tail behind them at some point, right? Generally. Yeah. But some places are still going to be a lot better than others. I've, I've got, uh, there's a couple of places that are really close to the road on one property that as an example, I'll have usually one or two just giants that show up during daylight. But picking them on the exact right day that they're going to come through, it's like you got to be out there all day for 20 days in a row. Uh, whereas there's other spots where it's like, man, there's a lot of does that bed here throughout the course of the summer, you know, feed throughout, feed here throughout the fall, and then the bucks come in. But it's like, man, there's always like three or four good deer throughout this two-week span that'll hit it from the third week of October through the second week of November. So it's like, I'm going to put my odds in that spot typically versus the other one. So yeah, they'll, those doe pockets will bring in bucks, but you'll find some pockets, especially year over year might be better on average than others. 
Yeah, I'm really I'm really good at taking pictures of does. Uh, so my cameras are are loaded with doe pictures and coyotes. But uh, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to reevaluate that um, with some of this these ideas. But the um, let's see here. So you're talking about your traditional uh, archery this year, and I, I saw your video the other day shooting at 80 yards. That was very impressive. Um, the is there anything different when you're talking about your weapon choice that you're going to do when selecting, you know, location? Um, and this might be more in season, but when it comes to the trad bow, is it going to be something that you're more likely to hunt off the ground, uh, more likely tight to get in tight because you want to have that close shot? Uh, anything different than what you might do if you were using a compound or a crossbow or even a rifle? Usually my setups, even with a compound tend to be pretty close and tight, but one difference is, um, you know, there's an extra 10 yards there, right? So if I'm set up with a compound and it's like, yeah, I can, uh, I can shoot out to 30 in this spot, but with a traditional bow, it's like, oh, I'd really, I'd really prefer to be 15, you know, 20 if the, if the scenario is right. So maybe there's one trail that I can't hunt, but this is still the right tree to be in. And maybe I take that, that risk. I do like hunting off the ground from the aspect of being able to maintain good alignment and form with a traditional bow. You can still definitely do it out of a tree, but it tends to get harder the higher you get up in the tree. Um, and it can be a little bit more awkward to maneuver some shot angles. Like if I really got to, you know, lean around the tree to one side, I can still get my compound back, hit those draw stops and just have total clearance to be able to make a shot with the tree mostly blocking me. But with a traditional bow, I find that sometimes I can't quite get to that same angle because I don't have the clearance. And even if I do have the clearance, I can't get my torso twisted into that full alignment that I would like to get into. So I might find that, like for me, like a, you know, a two o'clock through a six o'clock as a lefty is like kind of my bread and butter shot. So those are really going to be what I'm looking for. I find it's a little bit harder for me to take a weak side shot as well. So I might be more likely to hunt in areas where I know I'm going to have that chip shot because they're very unforgiving. If you're in a, if you're in a non ideal body position, are you hunting from saddle most of the time? Yeah. Okay. It gives you a little bit more leeway there when you're trying to maneuver, but um, let's see here. Or something else I'm going to ask you. Well, I think from a ta- tactics and scouting perspective, um, we've covered a lot. Now, uh, one thing here, rubs. When it comes to rubs that you find in the woods, obviously you're probably not going to find a whole lot of fresh stuff at this time of the year. But if you come across a good rub line from the past, how do you use that in your, your scouting and prep for this season? I'll mark it. And especially if there's a pocket that has a lot of rubs. I'll mark that knowing that it's likely going to be a good rut area. You know, like that, uh, that clear cut example that I gave earlier, that'd be like an example of a spot that's got a lot of historical rubs in there. A lot of times when I find trees of that size, you know, with those Aspen trees, a lot of times when they're that age, they'll, they'll tend to attract does, they'll tend to attract bucks during the rut, and they'll tend to be very rubbed up. There's other places I hunt where it's like, man, I hardly ever find rubs. But, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's no bucks there. And just because you found a good rub line, you know, it could have been last year a buck that rubbed the hell out of the trees and then walked out and got shot. He's gone. But you find that other bucks will come into that same zone and, and do the same thing again year after year? Yeah. I mean, it depends if it's, 
if it's a particular betting area and you got a one rub line coming out of that betting area, then that'll happen if another buck happens to move in there. But a lot of times if you have a ton of land and you only have, well, you got basically unlimited betting opportunities, you might have one bucket kill out of an area and it doesn't necessarily get filled. So it might be dead. I also seem to find that there's a lot of bigger deer in an area. There tends to be more rubs in general, more competition or whatever. I'll, there's one area that I go into that um, three years ago when I shot that one, the place was just, you couldn't hardly walk 15 feet without going past a rub. And there's a lot of good sized, tall rubs, you know, bigger trees. Well, last year, this same place didn't hardly have any bigger deer, just, you know, a bunch of two-year-olds and the occasional three-year-old. And the number of rubs throughout that area was probably down 80%. Hmm. So early season, you might find just fewer rubs in general. You'll find the rubs kind of around the bedding areas, but during the rut, when you're looking at historical rubs, which is a lot of times what you're going to find if you go out this time of year, then it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. It just kind of depends on what that particular year has to hold. You're not going to necessarily know until the season starts, unless you have access to glassing or you're getting velvet pictures. All right. So now I have a couple questions and I want, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some mild hypotheticals here. Um, I'm selfishly asking questions for myself, but picture yourself on a small property okay and you have this problem where you don't have a ton of trees to choose from uh or movement you can't just just can't make a whole lot of moves out there uh it's probably a clear cut from 20 25 years ago so you might be hanging in four inch diameter trees uh and every time you go out in the morning there are deer underneath your stand and are underneath that tree trees that you have to choose from Mm-hmm. are you going to quit going in in the morning and just try to go in at night? Or is there something that you, what would you do in, in a, like, a ten- like they're getting in there before first light, man, I can't figure out if they're like, if they're bedding that close or they're in there feeding on something, there's no food source that I've seen. That's like stands out as something wonderful, but I can't tell you. I mean, the one, it was a couple of years ago. I bet it was 80% of the time I'd walk out there in the morning and, had my little red light on, and I got eyes sitting there looking right back at me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just okay. like, why are you in here all the time, you know? And I've had camp. Was- there was one time I was getting ready to go out in the morning, fair chase or not, whatever. The- my alert went off, and there was deer there. And I'm like, I don't even think I'm going to go out because this big big boy's in there. And I'm like, I'll just bump him out before I even get in there. And these deer were in the same area that you would intend on hunting it's not like you're hunting you know quarter mile past where you'd be bumping into these deer yeah so and it was more it's more of like a travel area that they i i thought that they were going through so i don't know if they were going from the the bean field back to bed somewhere and i just was catching them at the worst time man it was uh it got really annoying and frustrating yeah that'd be the thing to figure out is are they actually bedding in that area or like you said, is it a travel area and they're eventually betting somewhere else? Because if it's the latter, then it's like you if you take a different access route in to get to that betting area, you might still be okay. But if they're just kind of hanging around that area and betting, it's like, yeah, you don't really have much of an option to, to hunt that in the morning, at least in my opinion. You'd be yeah. better off trying to slip in in the afternoon where you can see and go in slow. Yeah, and I have actually had a lot more success on that property <laughs> in the afternoon. Um, I might, might have seen more deer in the evening or in the mornings overall but actual 
success come in the afternoon. But okay, stupid question, but I've asked a few people this: What is Garrett's favorite tree to hang into? Like species? Yep. Hmm. I like hunting out of bur oaks. Okay. Just a lot of cover. That's probably my favorite. And then you get nice, nice big, lots of branches, nice big grooved uh, bark. It's like you can, you can uh, oftentimes find branches to lean up against and have a nice comfy set. Yeah, I probably like those the best. Burroaks. In the areas that have them. So get out there, everybody, and learn how to identify a baroque, and uh, hopefully you find a good one. But well, I thought Paul was going to hop on here, but uh, he must have got sidetracked with his um, cheerleader party at his house. His kids had camp rah-rah this week so uh you know lucky him but garrett i appreciate your time man and uh is, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you and and pick up more of your wealth of information go for it yeah so you can find me with the name diy sportsman on youtube instagram uh i guess kind of facebook usually i just repost stuff from instagram to facebook and then the diy sportsman podcast through uh, the Sportsman's Empire. And then I do some work with Tethered and Spartan Forge, so sometimes you'll see me do uh, things through their social medias as well. Very good. Well, I appreciate you, man, and uh, good luck this season. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Good luck to you as well. Yep. Thanks.